Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin Sallallahu ve sellem ala seyyidina Muhammed Ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem So uh, I feel it's probably fair to warn you in the beginning MashaAllah, first of all welcome Everyone, good to see everyone uh, As we're in the afternoon of Ramadan There's two disclaimers Number one is I might be less lively than usual That's number one disclaimer Although I'm usually, mashallah, very lively, as you know. <laughs> and number two is that I don't mind if you fall asleep. Okay? So if you, if you fall asleep, if you kind of like doze in and out, I'm looking at you and you're not here, I'm, we're, we're okay. It's all good. We're just here to be together in the last moments of these blessed days of fasting. And we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts from us. And we're going to be reading from this uh, tremendous work called Sifat al-Safwa by Ibn al-Jawzi radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Uh, it means the description of the cream of the crop, basically. The description of the cream of the crop by Ibn al-Jawzi. Ibn al-Jawzi was a famous Hanbali scholar. He died in 597 after Hijra radiallahu ta'ala anhu. It's a pretty well-known book um, of biographies. And You know when we read the biographies of the righteous people uh, It's good to remind ourselves that Of, of a couple of things And I'll, so I'll start with two quotes One quote is a quote of Imam Abu Hanifa radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Of course Abu Hanifa is an Imam al-A'adham He's the first chronologically of the four Imams of Sunni Islam He's of undisputed rank in terms of his knowledge, in terms of his piety, in terms of the way that he lived his life. But of course he's specifically known for his fiqh, right? His, his knowledge of the law. And what he is reported to have said is that uh, the stories of the righteous people are more beloved to me than much of fiqh. Because they are the narrations of the people of righteousness and the descriptions of those who, like basically the people we can trust in our religion, the inspirations that came before us. And imagine Imam Abu Hanifa, he was born in 80 after Hijra, he died in 150. So like some of the people that, some of the people that we're going to read today are, were his contemporaries, but many of them, like, you know, we have many more stories today than they had, right? But he's saying that, and he himself, Abu Hanifa, was known to have prayed, people nowadays, like, because... It's so distant to us, we think it's not possible, but you know, it's narrated about him that he prayed Fajr with the wudu of Isha for 40 years. <laughs> you know? You're like, well, how is that even possible? There's two possibilities. One of them is that he didn't sleep at all. Second possibility is that the actual fatwa position in the Hanafi school is that if you sit with your backside planted, it doesn't break your wudu if you fall asleep. <laughs> but either way, you know, he... he 40 years he prayed, he prayed Fajr with the wudu of Isha. And he's saying, I like to hear the stories of the righteous people because it's like very motivating. It teaches us to do good and so on and so forth, right? Uh, the point of this is not to guilt trip us. I think that's part of like one of the psychological tendencies that we have is that we hear stories of like amazing people and then we feel like, oh, who am I? And we start to like beat ourselves up. And again, you know, as I've said many times, there's two common ways, there's two common things that we do with Allah, okay? The number one thing that we do with Allah is that we make Him into Santa Claus. Some of you were here when I said this recently. I said it in San Diego. Number one thing that we do with Allah is we make Him into Santa Claus. 
So what do we mean? So you get on the good list, you're supposed to get whatever you want. It's an incorrect understanding of Allah. You get on the good list, inshallah, because God is God, and you want to be on Allah's good list, and that's it. Not because like I'm expecting to get this reward and that reward, and this business thing was supposed to work out because I prayed all my five prayers and stuff like that. It's not a transaction. We don't worship Allah, as some of the Salihin, they said. The one who worships Allah, out of fear of his punishment, they worship Allah, the worship of a slave. Like a literal slave, you know? They obey the master only so they don't get punished. And the one who worships Allah out of only want for reward, then they worship Allah, the worship of a businessman or woman. You do the trade, you get the transaction. But the one who worships Allah because he's Allah, then they worship Allah, the worship of al-ahrar, of those who are truly free and liberated. Right? So, you know, we shouldn't look at these things. We're not divine Santa Claus list. Number two thing that we do, is that we transpose whatever relationship we had with our parents on Allah. And mashallah, in Muslim communities, tendency is that parents are very demanding. And they tend to be really upset when you don't do things right. And so, and then they tend to use guilt a lot. Guilt is one of the favorite, favorite techniques of Muslim parenting, which, uh, you know, we talked about that in the Children Around the Prophet class. So we don't have to necessarily rehash it. But guilt, if it's going to be used, should be used very strategically and sparingly, not as the tool for everything. So then we hear these stories and we just filled with guilt. Oh my God, I'm not like Muhammad ibn Abu and Qasim ibn Muhammad ibn Abu Bakr, the grandson of Abu Bakr I'm not like him. Of course you're not like him. Like he was the grandson of Abu Bakr, and like he lived with the most amazing people that ever lived. Like and we live in Southern California, with like most people don't even believe in God. Most people worship material things. Uh, our lifestyles are very difficult. The food that we eat is very difficult to make it clean in the first place. I mean, there's a lot of challenges. So it's, the point is not to compare and be like, oh, I suck. It's not the point. The point is to read these stories and say, subhanAllah, who were these people? Like, these were really amazing people. SubhanAllah. And number two, like, I should try to work, see, whatever I'm at, I just try to work harder a little bit. Not like I'm so bad, or, but I can do more. Let me try to do more. These are the people who carried the religion. We're the people who carry the religion. I know you don't think about yourself probably that way, but you're the people who carry the religion. You carry it to a generation that comes after you, you teach it to the people that come after you, you're the ones. So, you know, we just work a little bit harder, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq. I'll probably be doing a lot of reading, and I'll make comments here and there, inshallah. So we're going to start with Anqasim ibn Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhum rahimahum allahu ta'ala. This is an interesting point. I hope it doesn't open up a can of worms. We don't want to spend a lot of time on it. Umwalid is what? Umwalid is a woman who was the slave of, some, of a man and they had a child. She's called Umwalid. She's called the mother of a child. And uh, basically she stays in this relationship with, the, with her master. And if the master dies, she becomes free. Okay? And the, and the child is born free. It's a different system than the American system. This is part of the challenge in understanding all of these things. The point is that he was Umwalid. His mother was uh, Umwalid. So, and there was actually several of them. They were married to three sisters, but we don't... Uh, uh, I don't remember all the details right now, so we won't get into it. 
An Yahya bin Sa'id radiallahu ta'ala an, I forgot to say the other thing. Sufyan ibn Uyayna radiallahu ta'ala an, he said that in the mentioning of the righteous people, mercy descends. Mercy descends. So, you know, we're in a month of mercy, and inshallah may this gathering be a time when uh, mercy descends as well. Hamid ibn uh, Al Qasim ibn Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr. So, Muhammad is the son of Abu Bakr, and Al Qasim is the son of Muhammad, so he's the grandson. Of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala Yahya bin Sa'id said We didn't meet anyone in Medina Who we preferred over Al-Qasim We didn't meet anyone in Medina Who we preferred over Al-Qasim well, Something to note Especially in this time Is that you're dealing in a time and places Where there are tremendous amounts of Religious, like practicing religious people By that I mean not necessarily people who check off certain lists, but people who you feel taqwa from them. Like you feel that this person is a person of iman. This person is a person of taqwa. And probably you've met them. Some of you were at the fundraiser last night. So anyone was here last night at the Sibyl fundraiser? You know who I remembered when I went about this? Is Sahar. Allah protect her. You know, when she got up and she gave her speech, I said, SubhanAllah, this is a woman of iman. Like this woman's iman is like, she changed the entire event. In my, in my opinion, she changed the entire event. The way, the things that she said and the way that she said them and the, the, the heart that it came from, it's a whole different thing. So, subhanAllah, may Allah reward her and protect her. Um, so, this was a time where you know people like that. You experience them. You sit in their company, you feel different. You feel closer to Allah. You feel like my relationship with Allah is, is okay. You feel like um, whatever issues that I had, they got smaller. You feel that whatever thing that I was losing hope with, I have hope now. These are the people of Allah are like this. And there was a time when there was many people like that. And there was also a time when there was many people of tremendous learning. Okay? So, you know, sometimes you come to a time when there's not many people of learning. So everything gets conflated. Automatically someone has some knowledge, they're automatically considered a person of taqwa. Like all kinds of stuff gets mixed up. But we need both of these. You know, knowledge is not sufficient in itself. Knowledge matters when it's coupled with taqwa, the actual presence with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the reason I'm saying this is because Yahya ibn Sa'id is saying, we didn't meet anyone in Medina that we preferred over Al-Qasim. Al-Qasim died in the year 108. 108 of Hijra. 108 of Hijra. Okay? So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam dies in what? 10 after Hijra, right? So, you know, this is about a hundred years after the Prophet We didn't prefer anyone over Al-Qasim. An Ayyub qala ra'aytu ala ra'aytu ala ala Al-Qasim rida'an qad subigha bi shay'in min za'faran wa yada'a mi'ata alf lam yatalaj fi nafsihi shay'un minha. He said, Ayyub said, I saw Al-Qasim and he was wearing uh, basically a garment that was dyed with uh, saffron, zafiran. And he would leave a hundred thousand dirhams probably, and or he would have a hundred thousand dirhams, he would leave it, and nothing would change in his heart. So his heart doesn't change at all. So imagine like you know someone, someone has, they have a hundred thousand dollars. This would give you a practical like modern example would be a person has $100,000, $200,000, $500,000, $20,000, whatever else it might be. Let's pick a number. 
Let's go with a hundred. Person has a hundred, say, I saw him, he had a hundred thousand dollars, and he would give all of it, and it doesn't change him at all. You understand what this is? Like, imagine that. Like, usually when you give, there's a little bit of a pull. Right? There's a little bit of like, all right, I'm going to give a thousand. I'm going to give five thousand. This thing, I really believe in it. I'm going to give ten thousand, whatever else it might be. I sat in a masjid one time where it was a fundraiser in Ramadan. And they were like, who can give a hundred thousand dollars? The person was like, hundred thousand. Like, Allahu Akbar. Who can give a hundred thousand dollars? Someone else? hundred thousand. I was like, Allahu Akbar, this is amazing. And like, all right, we're going to go. Anyone else? No one else. Who can give fifty thousand dollars? Like several people gave fifty thousand dollars. I was like, man, subhanAllah, this is amazing. Like, it was a regular masjid. It's, and you know, like the thing is in other places outside of California, if you give money like that, you have beautiful places, you know? Like it was a huge masjid with a huge field and like a youth facility and basketball court and all this kind of stuff. And like, you know, 100,000, 100,000. California is like, who can give $100,000? $100,000. Like, alhamdulillah, we can buy a closet. <laughs> yeah, like, what are you going to do? SubhanAllah. You know, it's, there's a reality to that. Anyways, he gave $100,000. His heart didn't change at all. Sign it over. Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, the Khalifa, he said, kana li min al-amri Qasim ibn Muhammad al-Khilafa. He said, if I had the choice, I would give him the Khilafa. This is like a very righteous person. I would give him the Khilafa. I would put him in charge. And Abi Zinad qala, this is the way biographies go, by the way, in Muslim biography books. They're not like stories, you know, where they give you the beginning and they give you the body and they fill in some gaps and stuff. It's never like that. Only modern books are like that. All the old books, it's just narration after narration after narration after narration. Because they're not going to fill in any gaps for you. Because if you're filling in gaps and you're using some sort of artistic freedom, and that's not actually as objective, right? So they just give you the narrations. You have to fill in your own gaps. عن أبي زناد said قال ما رأيت أحد أعلم بالسنة من القاسم بن محمد وكان الرجل لا يعد رجلا حتى يعرف السنة. It's a beautiful statement. He said I never saw anyone. Abi Zinad. He said I never saw anyone more knowledgeable of the Sunnah than Al Qasim. Than Al Qasim. Remember when we talk about a Sunnah, the Sunnah, we're not talking about narrations of Hadith. When we talk about the Sunnah, we're not talking about narrations of Hadith. We're talking about the way of the Prophet It's far beyond the Hadith. Okay, so it's actually similar to what I was just saying. They give you the narration and the biographies. You don't really know these people unless you see someone who's similar to these people. Then you get it, right? But this gives you signposts. What do we look for? They said, this, uh, the Hadith gives you signposts. But how do you really know the way of the Prophet you see the people who lived his way, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and the ones who took it from the ones who took it from them, and so on and so forth. It has to be done through suhbah. It's not done through individual narrations. It's done through suhbah, through being with the people of piety. So he says, we never saw anyone more, more knowledgeable of the sunnah than Al-Qasim. And then he says, a man was not considered a man until he knew the sunnah. It's a beautiful statement. A man was not considered a man until he knew the sunnah. Generally speaking, when we use when the word rajul is used like this, it's not referring to like a biological man in a sense. It's referring to like someone who is complete. So uh, they say that from the women there are rijal in a sense. 
They're complete human beings who stand firmly on their two feet, they're rigid, they stand firmly on their two feet, and they're completely dependable, they completely embody the teachings of the religion, so on and so forth. So this is a person who would be Raju. Uh, so they're saying no, nobody was considered a true person. They're not a complete person until they know the Sunnah. It's extremely important, you know. We spend a lot of time on a lot of things. Spend a lot of time on a lot of things. We have to make sincere intention, like, Ya Allah, I want to know what the Sunnah of your Prophet is. And be able to commit to it, you know. I'm going to do it through learning. I'm going to do it through trying to be around people who I deem to be pious people, who I hold to the standard of that learning. And uh, sometimes we have to do that by not telling lies to ourselves. You know? uh, it's not going to be easy. You know, if you're going to embrace the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, we have to recognize that the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ also included heartbreak. It also included difficulty. It also included betrayal. It also included disappointment. You know, these are all part of the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Like one of our, our teachers, he always he says that, and I mentioned this before, if you want to be a servant of Allah, you have to know Allah in all of His names. And if you're going to know Allah in all of His names, that means a lot of different things. I mean, sometimes you know Allah as a tawab, the one who turns in repentance. Sometimes you know Allah as ar-Rahim, the merciful, ar-Rahman, merciful. Sometimes you know Allah as al-Qahar, the powerful, subduing, right? You want to know Allah as al-Hadi, the one who guides. Allah is also al-Mudil, the one who leaves people to go astray. And I remember I told you guys this before. One time I was going through these things. And we were traveling with the Shaykh. We were sitting in the airport. I told him, I'm like, Shaykh, sometimes like I'm not even sure am I Muslim or not. Like, you know, it just feels so like it doesn't feel like I feel so bad inside that I'm not even sure do I really am I actually a believer? Because like I don't see the believers feeling this way. I don't like how do how do they do it? He said, look, like if you want to be a servant of Allah, you're a servant of Allah in all of his attributes. You're like, okay. You have to be patient. So you know the sunnah, you're going to know the sunnah. It's going to be a journey. It's going to be a journey of like, and I'm going to hold people against the mizan of the sunnah. I think this person is, uh, I think this person is the embodiment of the sunnah. But no, actually they didn't. Because I know the sunnah. That's why we have to, like any spiritual path, it has to have knowledge. Because without knowledge, you just you can, you can easily become victim to what someone's telling you. And that knowledge is not just from the person what they tell you. It's very important. We've said this in the Majlis a lot of times. We follow a particular methodology here. We believe that that methodology is the methodology of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah over, over the centuries from the time of the Imams. And that means that in Aqidah, we, go, we turn to the Madhab of the Asha'ira, the Maturidiyah, and, and the Ahmed ibn Hanbal. And the, that means that in fiqh we turn to the four madhabs, ex- except with rare exceptions. And that in, in, in tasawwuf or tazkiyah or spiritual practice, we hold any spiritual practice to the limits and guidelines of those first two. This is the way of the Muslims. Okay? It's not the way of like the majlis. It's not the way of Jamal or Sheikh Fuad or Sheikh al-Muslimah. This is the way of Islam. Which means that if I tell you something, you're not beholden to me. You're beholden to that tradition. So if you go and you learn that thing, you hold me to that tradition. You don't hold me to like what I tell you. You understand what I'm saying? It's very important. 
you hold the teacher to the teachings, not to their teachings. <laughs> and you hold their teachings to the teachings to make sure that they're teaching you like actually what is true. And of course, you know, the more and more you know, the more you can understand that. Looks like we're not going to get through anyone. وعن أيوب قال سمعت القاسم يسأل بمنا فيقول لا أدري لا أعلم فلما أكثر عليه قال والله لا نعلم كل ما تسألون عنه ولو علمنا ما كتمناكم ولا ولا حل لنا أن نكتمكم نكتمكم. He said, I saw him and قاسم he's in Mina. Okay, I saw him قاسم he's in Mina probably in Hajj, right? Otherwise people aren't really in Mina. <laughs> so he's in Mina, he's being asked. And he's saying, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. They're asking him more questions. saying, I don't know. And they're asking him questions. And he's saying, I swear by Allah, we don't know a lot of the things that you're asking us about. And if we knew them, it wouldn't be permissible for us to say that we don't know them. We would have to tell you. Right? I'm not like deceiving you. I just don't know. So this is the, this is the humility of the people of knowledge. And this is maybe a sign you can take. Like if you never hear someone say, I don't know. Or you never hear them say, you should ask someone else. You should ask so-and-so. It's not a good sign. It's not a good sign. If an Qasim ibn Muhammad is saying, I don't know. If Imam Malik, as we said before, Imam Malik was asked, people came from North Africa to Malik and Medina. They asked him a bunch of questions. He didn't have answers. They're like, what do we do? It's like, I don't know. You go back to your people. They said, we came, they sent us all the way to Malik with the questions. What do we do? He said, you go back to your people. You tell them we went to Malik. Malik said he doesn't know. Sit. Like, what can I do for you? I don't know. If I knew, I'd tell you. But I'm not allowed to speak in the religion of Allah if I don't know. It's not permissible. So if we have people who never say, I don't know, who have an opinion on everything, who never say, like, you know what? Let me research that. Let me check that. Let me look that up. Let me ask so-and-so. Maybe you should ask so-and-so. That's their field of specialization. It's not mine, so on and so forth. If someone's not doing that, it's a problem. One, one, one teacher that I know, he told me, we were talking about this issue. He said, his sheikh in Maliki Fiqh, who he memorized a poem with, which is like a good, you know, I forget how many lines it was, but in the thousand range. And he said, his sheikh, every time someone would come to him, ask him a question in fiqh, he would reach to the shelf and he would pull down the book, like the main reference book in the madhab, and open the book and find the answer and give them the answer. This is a scholar of like senior, senior scholar who's old in age, who knows the answer, actually probably, but he's going to the book and he's opening the book and he's telling them the answer. It's like there's a there's a tarbiyah in it too. So he said, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. If, and if I knew, I'd tell you. But what can we do? Yahya ibn Sa'id, he said, قَالَ سِمْعَةٌ قَاسِمْ يَقُولُ مَا نَعْلَمُ كُلَّ مَا نُسْأَلُ عَنْهُ وَلَأَنْ يَعِيشَ الرَّجْمُ جَاهِنًا بَعْدَ أَنْ يَعْرِفَ حَقُّ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى عَلَيْهِ خَيْرٌ لَهُ مِنْ أَنْ يَقُولَ مَا لَا يَعْلَمُ He said, I heard an Qasim say, I don't know much of what I'm asked about. And it's better for a man to live ignorant. After knowing the basic obligations upon him, it's better for him to live ignorant than to say 
than to speak about that which they do not know. Than to speak about that which they do not know. عن سفيان قال اجتمعوا إلى القاسم بن محمد في سرقة قسمها قال وهو يصلي فجعلوا يتكلمون فقال ابنه إنكم اجتمعتم إلى رجل والله ما نال منها درهما ولا دانقا قال فأوجز القاسم ثم قال يا بني قل فيما علمت قال سفيان صدق ابنه ولكنه أراد تأديبه في النطق وحفظه It's a beautiful story actually سبحان الله he says what? Sufyan says what? Sufyan. He says, people came to an Qasim in regards to some charity that he was distributing. Okay? Charity is in his hands to distribute it. They come to him to distribute the charity. When they come to him, he's praying. So they began to talk. And his son, Qasim's son, says, Wallahi, you came to a person who has never taken a single dirham from the money that was given to him to distribute. Okay, so his son says. So Qasim speeds up the prayer, and he says, he finishes, and he says, My dear son, speak about that which you know. Notice the, the detail in the statement. Speak about that which you know. Okay? Sufyan, he said, these people were smart. They paid attention. Sufyan was very, you know, he was... It doesn't matter if he's Sufyan authority or if he's Sufyan ibn Aryana, they're both Mujtahidi Imams. So these are very, very intelligent people, okay? So he says, Sufyan said, his son told the truth, but then Qasim wanted to give him some sort of education around the importance of speech and, and, and being particular about your speech. So look what he said to him. Did he tell him what you said isn't true? Right? So he doesn't want his son to say this. Because this is like praising him. He doesn't need to praise him to the people. Right? He doesn't want his son to say that. But what his son said is actually true. So what does he tell him? He says, my son, say what you know. Because in reality, his son cannot truly know that. Right? He can't actually truly know that. He can know from his experience that he's never taken anything from it. But can he know for sure that he's actually never taken from anything? He can't. So he says, say what you know. And Sufyan says, because he wanted to teach him, you should be careful with your speech. Don't say these kind of things. There's things you say to people, there's things you don't say to people. There's things that are appropriate, there's things that are inappropriate, and so on. This beautiful, uh, beautiful narration. So he died uh, at, at the year 108. So then he died in the year 108. At the end of his life, he was blind. وَكَانَ قَدْ ذَهَبَ بَصَرُهُ Died in the year 108 at the age of 70, around 70 years old. And when he died, he had lost his vision. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And Qasim ibn Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr. Radiallahu ta'ala Now we come to the person that I mentioned in the, in the, in the session yesterday at Sibir. Ali ibn Hussein ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib. Ibn Jawzi says, alayhim salam. So don't come in to come to me and tell me like all of these things. You're like closet Shia and this and that. And this and that. Ibn Jawzi said, Alayhim salam. To the family of the Prophet You don't want to do it? That's fine. Say radiallahu anhu. It's fine. It's no big deal. Bukhari did it also in his book. Ali ibn Hussein ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu ajma'in. Ummuhu, um walid. Ummuhu, um walid. Same thing. His mother was same situation as Al-Qasim. Part of why it's important to think about this 
is also to think about like there was upward mobility to people who came from a background that was slavery. It wasn't like you're stuck for the rest of your existence. Upward mobility, one generation, they're the greatest people in the society. Uh, it's a very interesting uh, point. وَهُوَ عَلِي الْأَصْغَرَ وَأَمَّا الْأَكْبَرَ فَإِنَّهُ قُوتِلَ مَعَنْ حُسَيْنَ عَلَيْهِمَ السَّلَامِ So he's actually Ali the small. There's Ali the big. There, and he was killed when Al-Husayn was killed. This is Ali, the, the son of Al-Husayn, the son of Ali ibn Abi Talib ta'ala, and Sayyidah Fatima anha. So this is uh, the great-grandson of the Prophet He was nicknamed Zayn al-Abidin. Zayn al-Abidin. Ali Zayn al-Abidin. And he's actually the second Ali of the sons of Al-Husayn. The first Ali of the sons of Al-Husayn was killed with he was there in Karbala and the horrible events of Karbala which were Karb and Bala then he was there but he was sick and so everyone else he was like in his 20s he was early 20s and uh, everyone was killed that was of age right the men that were of age they were all killed and uh, they came to the tent and they found him there and they were going to kill him they say they were going to kill him. Sayyidah Zainab, the sister of Al-Husayn and Al-Hasan, uh, she got in between them. And she said, he's sick, you can't kill him. If you're going to kill him, you're going to have to kill me. She had a mawqif, and she was Sayyidah Zainab. Sahibat al-Shura, they call her Sahibat al-Shura. She's buried in Egypt, according to the Egyptians. I think there's debate on it. But anyways, we say that she's buried in Egypt. Um, so she saved him on that day. Can Ali ibn Hussein radiallahu ta'ala anhu idha tawadda'a yasfarru fayaqulu lahu ahinuhu ma hadha alladhi ya'taduka indul budu fayaqul tadaruna bayna yaday man uridu an akum Sayyidah Ali ibn Hussein if he made wudu he would go pale his face would change face would change and his family they asked him what is this that we see from you when you make wudu and he said do you know in front of whom I intend to stand do you know in front of whom I intend to stand make wudu do you know where I'm going so his face would change عن أبي نوح الأنصاري قال وقع حريق في بيت فيه علي بن الحسين وهو ساجد فجعلوا يقول one of his nicknames also a sajad sajad if I'm not mistaken I could be mistaken in any case the story still stands وهو ساجد فجعلوا يقولون له يا ابن رسول الله يا ابن رسول الله يا ابن رسول الله النار يا ابن رسول الله النار فما رفع رأسه Said that Ali ibn Hussein, there was a fire in a home that he was in. And the fire started and he was in sujood. He was in sujood. This is not the fatwa, by the way, just so you know. Now, there's a difference between the fatwa and the taqwa. The fatwa is you leave your sujood. Don't get confused. But this is what he did. He's in sujood, the fire happens. They started to tell him, O son of the Messenger of Allah, you can use son in Arabic for like all the descendants. So, 
O son of the messenger of Allah. O son of the messenger of Allah. This is the, but people, understand, people knew this. People knew, like, this is the great grandson of the Prophet. This is not like everyone else. It's the great grandson of the Prophet. Uh, and uh, so they're telling the fire, the fire, there's a fire, there's a fire. And he didn't lift his head until the fire went out. He didn't lift his head until the fire went out. And they said, What is it that, that distracted you or kept your attention? Say, so, Let's go with distracted. What is it that distracted you from the fire? And he said, The other fire. <laughs> the other fire. That's what distracted me. عن سفيان قال جاء رجل إلى علي بن حسين رضي الله عنه فقال له إن فلان قد آذاك ووقع فيك قال فانطلق بنا فانطلق بنا إليه فانطلق معه وهو يرى أنه سينتصر لنفسه فلما أتاه قال يا هذا إن كان ما قلت في حقا فغفر الله لي وإن كان ما قلت في باطلا فغفر الله لك. So the man came to Ali ibn Hussein. He said, so and so says bad things about you. So-and-so is saying bad things about you, harming you, disparaging you, so on and so forth. He said, all right, let's go to him. So the person who's telling the story says, so, you know, we go to him, I think. We think that he's going to, like, stand up for himself, going to defend himself, he's going to say something. So Ali ibn Hussein, he comes to the man, and he says, oh, so-and-so, if what you said about me is true, may Allah forgive me. And if what you said about me is false, may Allah forgive you. It's the end of the conversation. <laughs> Did you catch it? Someone speaking bad about you, someone saying this about you, someone saying that about you, so on and so forth. He goes to him, he says, what? In general, the way of the Salihun, they don't defend themselves. It's not because like, uh, it's because of the narration of Abu Bakr radiallahu You know the narration of Abu Bakr where the Prophet is with Abu Bakr and a man came to him and started to say bad things about him. Abu Bakr is listening and he's listening and he's listening, he doesn't say anything. And the Prophet is sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. And then finally Abu Bakr defends himself and the Prophet gets up and he walks away. So, the, so Abu Bakr asked him, he's like, Ya Rasulullah, like, wh why did you do that? And he said, because when you didn't say anything, I saw the angels were there and they were defending you. So I stayed. And then when you started to defend yourself, the angels left, so I left. So generally, like, if you see, like, you know, it's not because people... Don't believe in defending themselves or something. Sometimes there are times when you should defend yourself, just to be clear. If there's like a serious allegation, if there's, you should defend yourself. Sometimes there's reasons to clarify your position. Maybe you took a position, you said something, people didn't understand it, you should clarify it. But like, you know, someone comes to you and they're like, you know, Jamal, I heard that this guy, you know, in the community, he said that you don't, you're not actually like a real person of knowledge. Alhamdulillah It's true <laughs> Who told the truth <laughs> What are you going to do yeah. So they said this and that They said that you uh, I don't know You're just doing this for money Because like you live in San Diego And San Diego is an expensive city <laughs> Because of California Kula is not expensive <laughs> yeah, Whatever yeah, You do this and you do that and whatever You don't have to defend everything Not everything that needs to be defended Some things need to be defended Not everything needs to so the man said something about him. He said, okay, let's go to him. He goes and says, if you told the truth, then Allah forgive me. If you didn't tell the truth, then Allah forgive you. 
جعفر بن محمد عن أبيه قال قال علي بن حسين فقط أحب غربة. It's a beautiful statement. It's very brief, very beautiful. فقط أحب غربة. It means like I'll translate it when I get to it. وكان يقول اللهم إني أعوذ بك أن تحسن في لوامع العيون علانيتي وتقبح سريرتي الله كما أسدت وأحسنت إلي في إذا عدت فعد علي So he says, Ali ibn Hussein used to say, فَقْتُنْ أَحِبَّ غُرْبَ It means losing your loved ones is a loneliness. Losing loved ones is loneliness. What can you do, you know? You lose your loved ones, there's a loneliness to it. You feel alone. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. And he used to say, Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from beautifying my outward in the eyes of the people while making my inside ugly. I seek refuge in you. It is beautiful dua. Allah, I seek refuge in you from making beautiful my outside in the eyes of the people and making my secret dirty. Making my secret ugly. Allahumma amin. Allahumma amin. Allahumma amin. Then he said, Allah, as I have done bad, and you have done good to me. So when I return to doing bad, return to me. That's a beautiful dua. Their speech has a, has a sweetness to it. Has a sweetness to it. لمن عود نفسه منكم عادة من الخير أن يدوم عليها. So a saying about him that when he would miss something from his prayers during the day, he would make it up during the night. You know what the wrong interpretation of this is? <laughs> you probably know. The wrong interpretation of this is he would miss obligatory prayers during the day and he would make them up at night. Wrong interpretation. <laughs> okay. To be careful. Like a lot of times we read our own sicknesses and diseases and difficulties onto other people. This is true in, in our everyday life, it's true in reading stuff from the past. So like you know, a person has difficulties praying on time, they miss their prayers. They're like, Oh subhanAllah, he used to do that. I can pray at night. I'll just make it up at night. I can't I can't do it. I go to work, it's hard. I miss Lord, I miss Asr, sometimes I miss Maghrib. But it's okay, I'll come home at night time for Aisha and I'll make up all my salah during the day and I'll pray. It's not okay. You do have to make it up and it's good that you make it up. But it's not okay to miss salah. Unless you have an extreme, extreme situation. I don't know, like you're a surgeon, you're going to go into the surgery, you can't walk away because the person's going to be harmed. These kind of things, it's extreme situations. But regular, like everyday situations. And alhamdulillah, we live in a country, by the way, you have First Amendment right to do that. Like imagine, you can live in a Muslim country and not have that right. SubhanAllah, like a Muslim majority country. They're a country that protects that right. You might have to fight, go to court, do all those kind of things. But, you know, it's theoretically protected. So if he missed extra prayers during the day that he was accustomed to doing, okay? Like some of you may remember when we were talking about Shaykh Ahmed Taha Riyan, one of the things that he took upon himself in his youth 
was that he will pray 20 extra rak'ah every single day. And he kept it. In his old age, he kept it. You know? So if you had like a salat that they would plan during the day, maybe someone commits to themselves, I'm going to pray 8 extra rak'ah during the day, 12 extra rak'ah during the day, whatever else it might be. If he missed that, he would make it up at night. If you miss that, you make it up or not. I have a small request. If people are okay, if people who are on chairs are okay with sitting on the ground, uh, and just keep an eye out. And you're on a chair, just keep an eye out. There are these other chairs, people are bringing them as they come. But if you can sit, come and sit. Because um, usually that's open. And when that's open, there's another set of chairs that we get. But that's not open. Seems to have been some sort of misunderstanding. Inshallah. Allah is kidding, and we'll figure it out. So we have what we have outside today. So if you need to use the restroom, use that restroom. And please don't make a mess, because we're stuck with only two until just after Mother time. So be courteous. Tell them, inshallah, it's okay. People are usually using the restroom less at the end of the day fasting. So he would make it up at night. He would make it up at night. And then he told his child, he told his family, you know, my son, this is not required of you. It's very important, right? He said, like, I do this, this is not required of you. But I, it is beloved to me that someone who uh, be, accustoms themselves to doing some sort of good, that they keep doing it. Someone who accustoms themselves to doing some sort of good, they keep doing it. So he's clarifying to his family, like, you don't have to do this. But this is what we do. By the way, and this is what I'm saying about the suhbah, about the amal, the amal. The amal is extremely important. Uh, the, the, the inherited practice, extremely important. If you look in the hadith of the Prophet them you, you find this meaning. But the Prophet encouraged this too. And like, for example, there's narrations that say, um, Ahlu Bayt Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kanu ida amalu amalan athbatun. That the family of the Prophet ﷺ, if they did some good thing, they, they held it down. Like, I'm going to pray in the night, they pray in the night. Two rak'ah, I'm going to pray two extra rak'ah in the night, they're going to pray two rak'ah in the night for the rest of their life. The idea behind this is not like... The idea behind this is if you want to improve, you have to be consistent. This is also one of the things to consider with Ramadan. Ramadan is exceptional. But we have to be consistent. And the rest of the year, don't be the person who like intends, I'm going to just, you know, you go, don't go from zero to a hundred. If you go from zero to a hundred over and over and over again, you're going to go from zero to a hundred. Go from zero to 10, hold the 10. And go from 10 to 20, hold the 20. Right? So he says, I like that they keep it up. They stay consistent with it. We can allow you to salat al-layli fil hadri wa safari. You wouldn't leave praying in the night. Uh... When he's traveling or when he's not traveling. And he used to say, I'll try to translate on the fly. And he used to say, It is amazing to I'm amazed about the arrogant person who just yesterday they were just uh, just yesterday they were what human beings are before they are conceived. The adults in the room can do the math. Just yesterday they were nothing, let's go with. Just yesterday they were nothing. And tomorrow they're going to be a dead body. He's like, I think it's an amazing thing. Like, look at these people. They're so arrogant. Yesterday they were nothing. 
Tomorrow they're a corpse. <laughs> it's a very strange thing. And it's like, and, and it's it's a bewildering, complete bewilderment that a person has doubt in Allah and they see His creation. And it's amazing that a person is is denies the uh, the coming to life in the hereafter, and they've seen how they came to life in this life. They came from nothing into life. Why do they think they can't come from nothing into life? Why why would they believe that? And it's amazing, all of the amazement, that someone would work for this world and leave the next. Again, their words are very beautiful. So they, they work for this world and they leave the next. Like, what kind of craziness is this? He's saying this is completely insane. How, why would a person do something like this? I'm just going to read the Arabic. وكان إذا أتاه سائل رحب به وقال مرحبا مرحبا لمن يحمل زادي إلى الآخرة سبحان الله وكلمه رجل فافترى عليه فقال إن كنا كما قلت فنستغفر الله وإن لم نكن كما قلت فغفر الله لك فقام إليه رجل فقبل رأسه وقال جعلت جعلت فداك ليس كما قلت أنا فاغفر لي so it says that a, a person would come to him asking for donations. Right? A person would come to him asking for donations. And he would say, Marhaban. Marhaban. Marhaban is like what you say to your guest, right? The person that you love, the person that you want. Marhaban, marhaban. It means like you find expanse. Like you find rahma, find rihab, find expanse. You know, it say, "Welcome, welcome, to the one who carries my provision to the hereafter." Look at this understanding. Right? I have some wealth; Allah has put it in my hand. You're coming and asking for me. Welcome to the one who carries my provision to the akhirah. Carries it to the here. You're the one. You're the one doing me a favor. You're doing me a favor. I have this wealth. You asked me for it. Now I can give it to you, and it stays with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So, marhaban, like welcome to you here. Thank you for coming to me. A man t- spoke to him and he lied about him. You know, he lied about him. He, and Ali ibn Hussein, he said, If I'm as you said, uh, then we ask Allah's forgiveness. And if I'm not as you said, then may Allah forgive you. Again, the same thing. What's important about this is you see, this wasn't a one time incident, this was his behavior. The other one that we saw when he said, you know, so-and-so said this about you and everything else, that wasn't a one-time thing. You know, like sometimes you're, in a, you're having a good day and like someone does you wrong and you're like, no, I forgive them. Alhamdulillah, like it's a good day. You know? But then next week, someone does you wrong and it's not a good day. It's like the headache day or the hungry day or the angry day or whatever. And you're like, wallahi, this person, you know. You see from these stories, like this was his, this was his behavior, standard. Every time, same thing. Right? So he says, if, if it's true, we ask Allah for forgiveness. If it's not true, may Allah forgive you. So the man stood up and he kissed him. It's also like the good... SubhanAllah, sometimes this is an important thing to remember. Sometimes people do things wrong, but there's a lot of good in them. And this is why these people, these, these are, they call them SubhanAllah. They call them Arbab al we're going to come to someone later. They would call him a tabib. 
like his nickname was the Tabib, the, the physician. Not the physician of the body, the physician of the hearts. Because when, uh, when, like, that person made this mistake, he could have been really harsh with him. Been like, you're wrong, you shouldn't have said that about me and all of these things. But his heart is so vast that he can forgive him and he can be patient with him. And he can deal with him in this way. And in doing so, the person has the chance to come back. So he didn't say like, oh, you know, whatever. As soon as he said that to him, he stood up, he kissed him. He said, you're not what I said about you. He stood up and he kissed him. He said, you're not what, what I said about you. And he said, I'm not, you're not what I, for, I said about you. May I, be, may I be ransomed for you. Like my life is your life. I'm not what you said. And you're not what I said about you. Forgive me. He said, may Allah forgive you. This doesn't mean he's not forgiving him. But you say, may Allah forgive you. And then the man said, Allah knows best where he put his message. Allah knows best where he put his message. What, is this? what does this mean? Again, people are going to be like, well, what is this? is this? We have a weird thing in the Sunni community. It's like, we're hyper scared of like anything that feels like it might be Shia. You know? It's like, God forbid, someone loves the family of the Prophet and people are like, I don't know, like maybe they're closet Shia or something. As if like, as if in the first place Shia are like a huge, like, well, that's in its own discussion. Which actually I was going to make a point about. Uh, you know, some people may know, uh, in, for Maghrib, some of our Shia brothers and sisters, they do it a little bit later than Sunnis. Maybe like 10 minutes or so, you know? So it's a fiqh difference. So I'm only saying this because if like we're here at the Majlis and you see someone who's like it's time to break their fast and then maybe they take a date and they don't eat it, don't talk to them about it. It's not your business. Okay? Your business is, I took my date, I broke my fast. That's your business. You have to get involved in everyone else's business. Let them break their fast when they break their fast. <clears throat> Even hatta to the point that like if we if we eat some dates and we make the iqama and we pray maghrib and you see some people aren't praying maghrib. First of all, if you see women not praying a salat, you never ask. It's a rule. If you see men not praying, still like you don't know why they're not praying. Maybe they're, maybe it's too early for them. They want to wait five minutes. Let them wait five minutes and pray. It's okay. Tamam. I don't even know where I was. Now. Ah. He said, Allah knows best where he puts his message. This is a, it's an iqtibas from the Qur'an, by the way. It's part of a verse in the Qur'an. That Allah knows best where he puts his message. What he's saying is that, truly you are the great-grandson of the Prophet You are truly the great-grandson of the Prophet And something I can say for, for, like I've seen. I believe it, you know. Yeah, there's people who claim they're from the family of the Prophet. They're not really from the family of the Prophet. So on and so forth. That's their problem if they claim that they're not. They can't get the cat according to some opinion, so on and so forth. It's harder for them. But, you know, in the end, there are people who are from the family of the Prophet And that should mean something. That should mean something. Like if you're from the if someone's from the family of the Prophet, that should mean something. Like that's our Prophet. And I've seen consistently people who are from the family of the Prophet specific there's certain qualities I've seen from them. They go above and beyond other people. Allahu alam, you know. So Allahu alam, hayatul yajjal, especially with hospitality. 
especially the hospitality. They give you like everything. Sometimes also they, they go through more edha from the ummah. SubhanAllah, just like what happened to the Hussein and the family of the Prophet and Karbala. They go through more harm from the, from the believers. They take a lot of harm from the believers. They're patient, 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 patient. Why? Because like that's, they still want to keep them in, keep them close. كان علي بن حسين يبخل فلما مات وجدوه يقوت مئة أهل بيت بالمدينة They said they used to consider I don't like the word stingy for this translation They used to consider that Zayn al-Abidin was let's say he was frugal he was economical they used to consider him like that Then when he died they realized that he was financially supporting 100 families from the family of the Prophet ﷺ in Medina 100 families he himself was supporting they thought he was just like you know being economical saving his money stuff like that and he was saving his money he wasn't spending it on things it was going somewhere else 100 families didn't have it Said there were families in Medina, they're, li- they're living, they don't know where their livelihood was coming from. Imagine, subhanAllah, like, imagine your life is simple, you don't eat very complicated things, you just find rice on your doorstep, find some fruits on your doorstep, find some vegetables, khalas, that's your life, you know? So you eat. For a week, you eat. Next week, you find some stuff on the doorstep. They're eating, they're living their life, they don't know where their, where their sustenance is even coming from in the first place. And then when he died, when, when he died, they, they didn't find what was coming to them in night. And they wake up, they find it on their doorstep. They woke up one morning, they didn't find it on their doorstep. I know someone like this, subhanAllah. And subhanAllah, this is why you can't judge people. I know someone like this, he was known, I hope I don't give too much details. He was known that he had like some issues drinking. So some people, they would look at him, they look down on him and stuff like that. Right? When he passed away, calls started to come from his home country. From people, nobody knew them. Calls started to come to his house. What happened to so-and-so? What happened to so-and-so? What happened to so-and-so? All the family's like, how do you know? What do you mean what happened to so-and-so? He passed away. Who are you? How do you know? And all of these families they were calling, they were saying he was sending us money every single month. Every month. All these families in this country. Every month the money is coming to them, they're paying their bills, they're buying their food, they're taking care of themselves. And all is coming from Sadaqat al-Sir, the charity that happens in secret. Said that Ali ibn Hussein, he used to carry the bags of flour on his back in the night and he would give it in charity. Put it on his back himself, on his own shoulders. Put it on his back. People like, you know, I'm too good to put a table, you know. I can't put a chair out. I can't roll up rugs. I can't do this. I can't clean the bathroom. I can't this. I can't that. What do you mean you can't do all these things? So now Ibn Hussein used to carry himself the flower on his own back. There's a famous story of Imam Sheikh al-Sha'rawi, you know, that when, um, you know, the Mufassir in Egypt, he was a commentary on the Quran, a scholar in general, that like millions of people, the world would literally stop for his tafsir. 
Because, you know, for those who are too young to know, there was a time when if you wanted to watch something, you had to catch it live. There was no recording. There was no, like, you know, you watch it on demand. Like, it was a, there's a time if you want to watch it, it's 2 p.m. on Friday, be there or you miss it. There's no other thing, right? And it was probably that time. It was after Juma on Fridays. After Juma on Fridays, he would have his tafsir. Literally, the country would stop. Like, everybody would be in the house watching his tafsir. So it was a big deal. I Subhanallah, I miss those things. You know what was really good about those things? Everyone's sharing the same experience. You listen to the radio, for example. That's why I still listen to the radio. I listen to Idaat al-Qur'an al-Kareem and Qa'ira. You can find it on your little apps. Radio Garden, if you go to Radio Garden app, you can find Idaat al-Qur'an al-Kareem and Qa'ira. And everyone's listening to the same thing. In Cairo, it's so beautiful. You wake up in the morning, you go down to get some bread, the guy's listening to the Idaat. You hear the recitation of the Qur'an. And you go, you go back, you walk down the street, you go to the store, he's listening to the, uh, the radio station. You get in the taxi, he's listening to the, like the same recitation continues. Everyone's getting the same message. It's really important, subhanAllah. Yeah. So he's, Sheikh Sharawi's big professor, the whole country stops every time he gives tafsir. So he said one time he was riding and he was driving and he's told the driver, stop the car, stop the car. He goes into the masjid, starts cleaning the bathrooms. Driver doesn't know. The driver's like, what happened to him? He went in. He didn't come out. He went in and he didn't come out. So, you know, like, what's happening? Finally, he goes in. He doesn't see him in the musalla. He's just looking around for him. Where is this guy? He looks in the bathroom. Finds him in the bathroom cleaning, cleaning the bathroom. It sounds like whatever to you. you haven't seen, if you haven't seen bathrooms in a masjid in Egypt, you don't understand this issue. I mean, like, you're probably in the jasa as soon as you enter. It's really bad. Like it's, subhanAllah, it's just a really bad thing And uh, it's like even the shoes They give you their different shoes Like you know, the, I forget what they're called They're like wood, thick wood ship ships You know, that don't absorb anything And you take off all your stuff And you sit on it, it's like this thick It hurts when you walk on it, right You take that into the bathroom and you come out and stuff and He goes in the bathroom, he's cleaning the bathrooms He said, what are you doing? He said, Mulan, like, what are you doing? He said, because I thought for a second like, You know, you give these talks And people think you're important and stuff like that so I told myself, stuff for law, stuff for law, and then I went to clean the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a time also when he, he took a major position in the government, like a, in the Ministry of Endowments and stuff. And he went back to his village. Everyone's like having a big party, you know. Sheikh has come back to the village. We need to gather and meet him, so on and so forth. <laughs> so he, he told them, pull over, let me out, and I'll meet you guys over there. So I'm like, okay. So they go, they go to like the city center, the village center, and uh, they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting, and they finish it, oh shit, it's not here, it's not here. No. They go, like, where is he? They start to walk around the village looking for him. They go and they find him with like the people who make bricks out of mud, right? They make straw in the mud, you put it together, and you bake it in the sun, and it makes the brick, right? It's hard, it's hard work. You mix the mud, and it has to be kind of like thick a little bit, right? So he's out there, and his like thobe is thrown over his shoulder, like typical. Egyptian village style like you get to work you just like tie it and you throw it and like you know you get to work and he's in there he's working and stuff they're like Sheikh what are you doing he's like I'm struggling bless you man <laughs> like, I'm just, just working with the people like you know it's like he put the flower Zain al-Abdi he put the flower on his own back he took it himself so, this, is, this is the sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, right when the Prophet وسلم, when they built the masjid didn't the Prophet وسلم, build the masjid with them and they're like, Ya Rasulullah, we can do it for you. You don't have to do that, so on and so forth. He built the masjid with them, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
When they dug the trench in the Battle of the Trench, didn't the Prophet dig the trench with them? So this kind of like, some of these things are, you know, like, yeah, we respect people. And people shouldn't think, like, I'm, I'm too good to carry a table. You know, I'm, mashallah, so-and-so. I've done this and this and this and this. My resume is really long. I can't carry a table. I can't put this out. I can't put out that. That's what community is. You know? That's what makes things easy. The American proverb is, many hands make light work. Right? Many hands make light work. You work together, it's easy. Everyone, it's always like when we come, it takes a long time to set up. Clean up is always fast. MashaAllah, everyone helps, takes, takes things down, helps, it's great. Taking you all the way to Maghrib. <coughs> there was something else I was going to say. What is Dabu Salihin? How the Salihin اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد. Another narration says لما مات علي بن حسين فغسلوه جعلوا ينظرون إلى آثار سواد في ظهره فقالوا ما هذا؟ فقالوا كان يحمل جرب الدقيق ليلا على ظهره يؤتيه فقراء أهل المدينة. So when they went and he died and they went to wash his body, they started to notice there's these marks on his back, lines on his back. You do something, the pressure is over and over and over again. Funny, sometimes we don't understand these things because we don't do them. But like, someone who goes to the gym, goes, lifts weights all the time, what do you find on their hands? Hands are a little bit calloused, right? On their thing. So he put on his back. So when they, when they washed him, they washed him, they found this. They said, what is that? They said he would carry the bags of flour at nighttime on his back and give it to the poor people of Medina. One person said, We didn't lose the charity that was happening secretly until he passed away. So also people knew each other. You know who doesn't have. You give it to them. You know, life is simpler. Everyone knows each other. You don't need all these huge institutions to do the things that you need to do. Right? Life is simple. You know the poor people. You take them food. You don't tell them. You just drop it there. They have their rice now. It's very beautiful. There was a time when Ali ibn Hussein He was going to Hajj Umrah So Sukaina bint al-Hussein Sukaina, his daughter Or his uh, sister um, She brought like a beautiful gift for him basically She gave it to him on his trip And basically as soon as he got out of the distance where she could get the news He gave it to people who were in need Found the poor people, gave it to them right. As you see like Again, you see this with people I, t- I told this story before of Habib Abdul Qadir al-Saqaf He's in his majlis And people are coming And this is, what the, this is like What the shuyukh would do They sit in their place And people just come, they sit for hours People come, they know Sheikh is sitting at this time Person comes and Sheikh, can you help me with this? Can you do that for me? Can you? Do- I'm having a hard time finding an apartment. Do you have any? Can you help me find an apartment? Can you make du'a for me? Sheikh will make du'a, and then you'll say, you know, there's so and so. Call so and so to help you with the apartment because they know everyone, right? And they know how to help the people and so on. Some people will come, they ask them things. 
They said they were sitting in the gathering, someone brought him like a duffel bag full of money, cash. Put the duffel bag in front of the sheikh. Sheikh took the bag, put it on the side, told the person, can you just take that to the side? The person takes it to the side. Some time passes, person comes, person comes, person comes, person comes. Another person comes and they have some needs. Sheikh tells the person, he says, can you bring that bag? They bring the bag, takes the bag, puts it, gets it in front of the person. Person takes the bag and goes. <laughs> they just pass it. It's a conduit, you know? Like the electricity came, it just goes through the wire. That's the next person. <laughs> so, you know, he says this. We, we didn't, uh, he, he got the gift. As soon as he got away a little bit, he gave it to the people in need. He didn't keep it for himself. Oh my God, there's still so much more. He's one of the longer biographies here. Most of the biographies are not this long. Mm. قال نافع بن جبير لي علي بن حسين أنت سير الناس وأفضلهم تذهب إلى هذا العبد فتجلس معه يعني زيد بن أسلم فقال إنه ينبغي للعلم أن يتبع حيث ما كان This is a beautiful statement, very important statement And this is the understanding of the people of Islam from the beginning And I'll tell you, I did not have this understanding This is going to take maybe the rest of our time We'll see, I'll try to be brief a man came to him, Ali ibn Hussein. They told him, you're the Sayyid of the people. You're the best of the people. And you're the leader of the people. And you go and sit with this slave, Zayd ibn Aslam. Well, there, was, there was issues, right? In society, there's racism, there's discrimination, there's issues, right? But the people who are in, the people of, of example, are not going to be the people who are doing the issues, right? So he goes to him and he says, you sit with this slave? Like you're the best of people and you sit with this slave? And Zayn al-Abidin, he told them, he told them, knowledge is gone to wherever it is. Knowledge is followed wherever it is. Because this slave was a very knowledgeable person. He was a scholar. So he would go to him and sit with him and take his knowledge. So this guy's like, oh, how can you sit with him? So on and so We have this stuff in our community, right? Oh, you're sitting with poor people. Oh, you're sitting with black people. Oh, you're sitting like, why do you care about all these People, they don't even speak English. Who cares about the Latinos? You know, they just do the work for us. All the people say crazy things, right? Stuff for the love. And the positioning of the person of piety and the person of taqwa and the person of knowledge should never be that. You know? The person who cleans up after you is a person of great honor. It's not just like, oh, this person is here. You know, they're our median. They're just our, our servant, basically. You know, we pay them to clean the bathroom so we treat them like trash. Stuff for the love. Fear Allah. Fear Allah, you know, these people, they clean our home, they don't really matter, you know, I don't have to treat them very nicely. Fear Allah. I mean, like, really, you better fear Allah. This is dangerous, dangerous stuff. This happens in Masajid, right? Maybe you have a people, maybe you have a people who have been cleaning a masjid for years. They've been good, they've been loyal. And then you have masjid leadership comes in, new, you know, leadership's always changing. Masjid, new leadership comes in, they say, you know, I think we can get a cheaper rate. So what, you kick this lady out who's been cleaning your masjid for 10 years, doing a, with honor and dignity and loyalty, and like, she's almost part of your community, everyone knows her and everything else. You kick her out just because you can get a cheaper rate? Tapping night. No, I'm just trying to use the donations right. Use them right, but use them with karama. Use them with honor. It's not just get the cheapest deal. Get the cheapest deal is not Islam. 
Islam is honoring people, taking care of people, treating people with respect, you know, giving them their due, respecting relationships, respecting like a tradition or a history you have with someone. You just throw them to the curb. Astaghfirullah. So he said, knowledge, you go to knowledge, you follow it wherever it goes. Who cares who I am? He's a scholar. I'll go to him. He goes wherever he goes, I'm going to go to him. And this is when I left, when I, in the American Muslim community, with the narrative that I was accustomed to, when I went to go study, Americans are also exception, they're um, entitled on top of it, right? American exceptionalism, all this stuff. Like we were under the impression that people of knowledge should come to us. Can you imagine? It's Qabir. But in the community, generally, we believe this, right? Generally, we believe it. They should do whatever we want them to do. You know, how many times people, like, you know, can you, t- can you teach something? Oh, yeah, I have a class. You know, I teach twice a week, three times a week, whatever. It's public. Anyone can come. Yeah, but I want something that's, like, you know, more private. But why? Like, there's something that's public. Why don't you just come to the thing that's public? What's, like, it's the same thing, even. Sometimes it's the same topic. We're like, yeah, but, you know, we want the, like, tafsir in our house rather than the tafsir in the masjid. Where is so what like the person of knowledge is your servant? This is not right, you know. Oh, they should have came to me. They should have asked about me. They should have done this. They should not. No, you need something. You ask for something. Go to the person you ask them. The question you ask them. You know, you want knowledge. You go seek knowledge. Uh, I've said many times, like Malik, Malik in Medina to the Khalifa, Malik to the Khalifa. The Khalifa sent him a letter. Said, I want my children to learn from you. Can you come to Iraq, teach my children? Malik wrote him a response. He said, no. I don't care who you are. He didn't say that. But he said, no. We, see, we saw the people who came before us, and we saw what they do. And knowledge does not go. It has come to. If you want your children to learn from me, you send your children to me. You could be the Khalifa. You come to me. Right? Of course, there's caveats, and, you, and that's not arrogance from Malik, because we know Malik. From some people, it's arrogance. So, you know, all the caveats we always say all the time. Hajja, there's a beautiful line of poetry. Oh, man, this is one of my favorites from uh, Balagha class. Hisham ibn Abdul Malik, when he was the Khalifa. Or before he was the Khalifa, sorry. Qabla an yali al khilafi. Uh, and he was trying to go to the black stone. He couldn't get to the black stone. Okay? He's almost at the point he's going to be Khalifa. khalifa. He's like a big person in the state, right? So he, he wants to get to the black stone. He can't get to the black stone. Then Ali ibn Hussein comes. فَوَقَفَ لَهُ النَّاسِ he said it kind of like they say so what happened was he tried to go to the black stone he couldn't get to the black stone Ali ibn Hussein Zayn al-Abidin he comes everyone gets out of the way they stop everyone stopped he went straight to the black stone he greeted the black stone you know did his thing and then they go go about his business so the people who are with Hisham they said who's this he said I don't know who this is you know kind of like I don't know who this guy is whatever so Farazdaq, one of the famous poets, I'll try to say this in Arabic, I don't know if I'll get it right, but he said the following. Farazdaq is in that gathering with Hisham. He said, Lakinni Arifubun. Hada Ali ibn Hussein. Then he recited these lines of poetry. Hada ibn Khairi ibadillahi kullihimi. 
هذا التقي النقي الطاهر العالمي هذا الذي تعرف البطحاء وطأته والبيت يعرفه والحل والحرم يكاد يمسكه عرفان راحته ركن حتيم إذا ما جاء يستلم إذا رأت قريش قالوا قائلها إلى مكارم هذا ينتهي الكرم إن عد أهل التقى كان أئمتهم أئمتهم أو قيل من خير أهل الأرض قيل هو هذا ابن فاطمة إن كنت جاهله بجده أنبياء الله قد ختموا وليس قولك من, من هذا بضائره العرب تعرفه تعرف من أنكرت والعجم يغدي حياء ويغدي من, من مهابته ولا يكلم إلا حين يبتسم He says that he said this is the son of the greatest of all of the servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the one of taqwa. This is the one of purity. This is the one of sanctity. This is the one of knowledge. This is the one who the valleys of Mecca know his footstep. And the Kaaba itself knows him. And the Hill and the Haram, the sacred areas and the areas around Mecca and Medina. Um, the the area around the Kaaba, it's as if it holds on to his his scent when he comes to say to greet the stone. And if you see Quraysh and they're they're the one who speaks for them speaks, they'll say that all of the greatest characters and all of generosity ends with him. If you were to count the people of Taqwa, then he is their Imam. And if you were to say who is the greatest person on the earth, then it would be said it is him. This is the son of Fatima. If you are ignorant of him, by his grandfather, the prophets of God were were sealed, right? Your statement, "Who is this?" doesn't harm him in any way. The Arabs know who you who you uh, said who you negated, and the non-Arabs. Uh, he has basically has haya in front of him. You have haya in front of him. You have awe. In front of him, you have haya. In front of him, you have awe. And you won't speak until you see him smile. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Like these are, these are, uh, it's a beautiful line of poetry. The people, when you study Arabic poetry, they always say like, uh, you know, maybe it's that Farazdaq would be forgiven for these lines of poetry. He had other lines of poetry that were very foul. <laughs> and it wasn't like known to be the most righteous person. But they always say, maybe these lines of poetry that he said about the great grandson of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, these will be the lines that Allah forgives him for him. A man said to Sa'id ibn Musayyib, who was from the great fuqaha of that time, they said to him, مَا رَأَيْتُ أَحَدٍ أَرْوَعَ أَوْ رَعَ مِنْ فُلَانِ فَقَالَ هَا رَأَيْتَ عَلِي بِنْ حُسَيْنِ قَالَ لَا قَالَ مَا رَأَيْتُ أَحَدٍ أَوْ رَعَ مِنْهُ He said, someone came to him, he said, we didn't see anyone who has more scrupulousness, more like fear and caution in his religion, than what we saw from so-and-so. And he said, did you see Ali ibn Hussein? He said, no. He said, I didn't see anyone like him. They said, Zuhri, Zuhri was one of the great scholars of that time. He said, I didn't see any Hashimi that was better than Ali ibn Hussein. And I didn't see anyone who had more knowledge than him. One time he was leaving the masjid. I have to hurry up. One time he was leaving the masjid. And a man came to him and cursed him. So the servants, like the slaves and stuff that were around him. This is, this is, these were his people. It's important to note this. There's slaves in Medina and stuff. Who do they hang out with? They hang out with him. It's like their guy, you know? Sayyidina Ali ibn Hussein. 
It's beautiful. It's fun of And not every slavery was like North American slavery. So even like Brazil, for example, part of the way the Muslim slavery vault happened, there's a famous one, uh, was because slaves had some level of mobility, actually, in some of these places. So they could talk to each other, they could interact with each other. So they would hang out with him. So when this man came and started cursing him, they all got up, like, all right, we're going we're gonna to handle this. So Ali and Hussein, he says, easy, easy, easy. Then he went to the man. And he told him, ما سُتِرَ عَنْكَ مِنْ أَمْرِنَا أَكْثَرُ أَلَكَ حَاجَةً نُعِينُكَ عَلَيْهَا He said to him, what has been concealed of us is worse than what you think of us. Imagine, like he comes out of the masjid, guy curses him. He says, what you think of me, what you don't know of me is worse than what you think of me. Is there anything I can help you with? This is not like out of full sincerity. It's not like making fun of the person or trying to position for power or something. Like full sincerity. Like, actually, you know, what you said, I'm actually worse than that. But do you have anything I can help you with? فَاسْتَحْيَ الرَّجْلُ فَأَنْقَى عَلَيْهِ خَمِيسًا كَانَتْ عَلَيْهِ وَأَمْرَ لَهُ بِأَلْفِ دِرْهَمْ فَكَانَ الرَّجْلُ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ يَقُولُ أَشَهَدُ أَنَّكَ مِنْ أَوْلَادِ الرَّسُولِ صلى الله عليه وسلم So the man got shy got shy after that This is actually really amazing The man got shy after that So what did he do? He put a piece of clothing on him and he gave him a thousand dirhams On top of it You know He's like, you can tell he's upset Here, you can have this You can have Okay, whoever has a gray Honda Civic with 8NNC033, nobody's upset with you, but can you move your car? Is it, is it blocking the It's ramp? blocking the, the ramp for them. Yeah, it's blocking the ramp and we needed to get the stuff in and out. It's totally normal, people park there all the time, but just to get to the ramp. Uh, so he gave him like this thing, he gave him a thousand dirhams. And then the man said, I bear witness. The man said what? He said, I bear witness that you are from the children of the Prophet You're from the descendants of the Prophet Look at this, they see. It's like they see it. They see the glimpse. They see the glimpse of Nabuwa. Like there's a glimpse there. There's a light that the Prophet left with his followers. So they do these things. They say, I, I, you're, from the, you're from the ancestors of the Prophet One time a man came to Ali ibn Hussein. Or he came to a man when he was in sickness at the end of his life. His name was Muhammad. This man was crying. He said, what's wrong? He said, I have a debt. Right? So the person's in the sickness at the end of his life. He comes to him. Says I have a debt. Uh, where are the dates? Is there a system for the dates, Marcus? Are they going to bring them around? Okay, come do that. Thank you. So he comes to him. He says, "What's your situation? Why are you crying?" He says, "I have a debt." He said, "What is it?" He said, "It's fifteen thousand dinars. It's a big amount of money." He says, "Fifteen thousand dinars." 
So Ali ibn Hussein said, فَهُوَ عَلَيَّ I take your debt. So then it became his. He has to worry about it now. Um, so his son said, My father gave me advice. Told him, Stay away from five people. Stay away from five people. He said, Stay away from the corrupt person because they'll sell you out. Person who has no morals, stay away from them because they'll sell you out. Then he said, Stay away from the stingy person. Because they will want things and they don't get it, and then they will, you know, uh, not do you right. Uh, you know, the stingy person, because they'll cut you off when you need it most. They'll cut you off when you need it most. Really need them, they'll cut you off. Then he said, don't, and then don't, don't be near a person who is a liar. Don't be around someone who's a liar. Why? Because every time you feel like you're getting close to them, they'll end up farther. And every time you're far from them, you'll feel like you're close to them, because they're lying. You can't know where you're at with them. They're lying about everything, right? Thank you. Uh, and then he said, don't keep the company of a... St it's not a polite word. Ahmaq. <laughs> don't keep the company of an Ahmaq person. <laughs> Ahmaq person is like a person who's not very intelligent. Why? Because they'll try to do something good for you and they'll hurt you. And he said, and don't keep close to someone who cuts off family relations. Because they're, they're cursed in the book of Allah. That has its own details. Again, don't guilt trip yourself. Don't get out of control with it. Take the general lesson. He died in Medina in the year 92 or 94 at the age of only 58 years old. All of this, 58 years old. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu wa nafa'allahu bi wa bi barakatihi wa bi dhikrihi. Sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala anihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen.